Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. Boston honors its black veterans the last Saturday of Black History Month. BNN's Akua Duvall speaks with one of the honorees. Some stood, some sat, and some gave a salute. This is the Black Veterans Appreciation Brunch at Prince Hall Grand Lodge. We gather here today not just to break bread, but to recognize and celebrate the extraordinary contributions of Black veterans. Service members, families, and city officials celebrated those who have served our country. I am originally from Jamaica. Why I serve? I serve because I wanted to give back to America. Now, when it comes on to Black History Month, I'm so grateful for each and every veteran, Black veteran. We are so incredibly grateful for your sacrifice and for your contributions. Mayor Michelle Wu gave out awards to honorees. To put on that uniform, to sacrifice and give and put your life on the line for a country that may not recognize your sacrifices when you get home with the same equal rights and equitable opportunities, that is the deepest kind of love for our country. The Boston Veterans Legacy Award went to one of the last surviving Tuskegee Airmen, Enoch Woody Woodhouse. The reason I fought for America, even racial injustice, because it was the right thing to do. We were of World War II, the greatest generation. The second award, named after General Edward O. Gordine, was given to Korean War veteran Ralph Brown Jr. posthumously. His family received the award on his behalf. For BNN, I'm Akua Deval. Closing out Black History Month, seniors in Dorchester celebrate their culture and roots with the help of Age Strong Commission. On Saturday at the Age Strong Black Heritage Luncheon, Black Nativity singer's joyful message was heard loud and clear. Seniors bonded over their vibrant roots to the African continent and each other in the final days of Black History Month. The need to pass on their experiences and culture to the next generation dominated conversation. We need to tell our children about our lives. They need to know from whence they come. They need to know that they sit amongst heroes and sheroes. They need to know who you are and the price you pay for them to have the life they have. We're here from the Age Strong Commission um, celebrating uh, Black History Month at our, at our Black Heritage event. So important that we lift up people's heritage. Uh, you know, Boston is made up of uh, uh, so many important cultures, and by lifting up the different cultures of our residents, uh, we're able to create a diverse uh, community where we all come together, um, learn about each other, and celebrate what we all bring uh, to making Boston the great city it is today. As guests danced and enjoyed each other's company, their attention turned inwards as they reflected on their ancestors. It's really important that we as black people find the time to honor our ancestors and to build on the platform that they've given us. 
They are the link to the infinite past, and we are the link to the infinite future. And between those two things, greatness lives. It's so essential that we pass on the information to the next generation, because the next generation don't have any idea of the struggles that our forefathers went through. So that's why it's, import it's important for me to come out to see all of my friends and those that I don't know partake in this celebration because there are still things that we are missing ourselves as far as our history goes. People are nothing without their history. It's so important that we continue to pass on to our children and to our grandchildren the stories of Melania Cass, the stories of Ruth Batson, the story of those who are living legacies and living history in the city of Boston. And so we pass on history because we won't be able to know where we're going in the future if we don't know the past. In the midst of reverence, there was extraordinary pride in the people and history that defined black Boston. All those present in Russell Auditorium felt the power of that legacy. A locally based art center brings the city's youth and local leaders together to inspire future leaders. BNN's Garrett Adamsev has the details. Energy is high here at the Mayor's Youth Summit, hosted at the Artists for Humanity Epicenter on February 24th. The event is the first of its kind in 20 years, meant to inspire the next generation of leadership. I really feel it's our responsibility, and I say that collectively for all of you as well, to open up as many doors as possible and make sure we're telling people, not just you can step into these roles, not just that you deserve to be in these roles, not just that you are ready to, but we need you in these roles right now. Mayor Michelle Wu, along with members of the city council, honored young leaders like Grace Malave Darling, who teaches emotional and physical self-defense to young women and non-binary people. She says her position helped develop her leadership skills. If you ask almost anyone in my life, um, family, friends, whatever, they'll all say kind of, oh Grace, you've definitely grown as a person, you know, you've become more outspoken, you know what you want, and like you advocate for many more things compared to when I first started before I like, started the job and when I first started. Boston's new Office of Youth Engagement and Advancement organized the summit. Executive Director Pedro Cruz feels that input from the city's youth is important. We wanted their voice involved in the decision making. This space was created for them. They chose the, the keynote speaker. They decided on what they wanted the space to look like. So again, my job was really just to make their vision come to life. And that keynote speaker? None other than Boston-born rapper and songwriter Cousin Stiz, who looks back on his time with Team Empowerment Dance Group fondly. To have somebody older than me, way older than me, an older, an older male, you know, older black man to look at me and be like, yo, I believe in you, just do what you do. Just do what you do. It's, it was everything for me. So like I said, for this to be a full circle moment, to see some kids from Team Empowerment perform doing the things that I used to do, world of difference, it was the world for me, man, it was the world. Cruz says he hopes his office will be able to hold the summit once a year, every year from now on. But until then, it's time for a little rest. Reporting at the Artists for Humanity Epicenter for BNN News, I'm Garrett Adamsev.
Local union workers make a difference for Boston students and their teachers by extending a helping hand. Last Saturday, Iron Workers Local 7 Union did their part to ensure Boston teachers, parents, and students have a successful second half of the school year at their fourth annual middle school supply drive. We've ordered supplies back in May that still have not arrived, so this event is extremely helpful to us so we can replenish until our orders finally do come in. So the kids are losing Expo markers left and right, their ink is gone, so this is extremely helpful to help them get back into the routine at work. I think the school supply drive is just so wonderful and so needed, especially in our South Southie community. My daughter goes to the Condon where, you know, a majority of the kids are come from, you know, lower income. And so when they come to school and are able to use and see, you know, new school supplies, I think it does help invigorate their learning uh, and excitement within the classroom. I think it would be better for all the students to have much newer stuff. We need these school supplies because it will help me work better than class. Nearly 300 people attended the drive in South Boston, collecting much-needed items like pencils, crayons, markers, and notebooks. Other contributors include local 600 International Cinematographers Guild and Catcher's Law Group, which donated thousands of dollars in supplies. For Iron Workers Local 7 volunteers, it's a small price to pay for helping the community. Community outreach um, is huge. A part of being a union member and a community member is to be able to give back to the community that you serve, work in, and live in. Um, we know that teachers have a hard time being able to come, having to come out of pocket for supplies to keep their kids engaged and keep the classroom full of things that are needed. So to have an event like this in the middle of the year where students may have lost or damaged or misplaced some of their things that their parents have bought them in early September for the start of the year. Uh, this February vacation, after that week, we can replenish them for the end of the year to give them a good finish uh, to, to get them to the finish line. It's the middle of the school year and it's so nice to get these supplies. You know, it boosts the morale of the students in the classroom, you know, the teachers, you know, they're able to see something new. So to be able to, you know, get these supplies, it's going to help them get to that last leg till they get to the end of the year. Um, Local 7, thank God that they're doing this. You know, it's really awesome that they're able to supply something for the kids to get them to that last leg of the school year. Local 7 members raised over $8,000 in supplies and donations with the help of fellow labor unions. With this helping hand, BPS students and teachers are ready to take on the remainder of the semester, thanks to the generosity of Iron Workers Local 7 Union. On Tuesday, a morning of recognition for the vibrant and resilient people of Boston's Dominican community. Dominican poet Milagros Marte shared a touching poem about her homeland, setting the tone at the first annual Dominican Independence Day breakfast. The strength and determination of this nation is it's incredibly important, and um, you know it's all the sacrifices that um, our, our ancestors have made, especially in the Dominican, right here from the Dominican Republic. All the sacrifices that our parents, our grandparents, and great grandparents have made for us to be in this position, um, and now it's up to us the responsibility of, of this new generation that we're in this position to continue those sacrifices and to continue those efforts to make sure that generations that are coming after us, our kids and our future kids, um, have a better life than what we do have today. 
I'm Dominican and I'm very proud of my heritage of being a Dominican. We are a country of hardworking people. We fought for our independence twice uh, to make sure that we have the independence. And we are people that came from Dominican Republic here to this country, have been working really hard. And we're doing that to make sure that our children have a, a better future. Boston Demographics show that Dominicans are the second largest immigrant group in the city following the Chinese. The growing number of Dominican success stories from business to city leadership continues to inspire those from the Dominican Republic and beyond. I am so grateful for your contributions to culture, to economy, $2 million, 500 small businesses, and to civic life. Again, the fact that this district is so uh, vibrant, diverse, and dynamic is a testament to the brilliance, the resilience, the innovation, the impact, and the pride of the Dominican community. We know great Dominicans in all the areas, in sports, and they are in the arts, in science. They contribute every day, businesses all over the city, all over the state. And now politically we have three Dominicans that are elected to the Boston City Council. And we have a mayor and, and state reps and senators and very active. They believe in active participation in democracy. The fight for Dominican independence didn't come easily and sacrifices made in the late 19th century fostered unity, cultural preservation, and a sense of belonging within the Dominican community in Boston. It means honor to be Dominican and a Dominican that lives in the diaspora. Because we fought two, two, two times, twice, to be independent. And in both, in both events, Dominicans that live outside the country were paramount to the independence that we enjoy today in the Dominican Republic. Tuesday's breakfast highlighted a resilient community with staying power. Parkinson's is a devastating and debilitating disease. But in South Boston, Bespoke Studios takes action to find a cure, leading cyclers into high gear. Parkinson's disease is a progressive neurological disorder that can affect almost every part of the body, with no known cure. And on Saturday, spinners in South Boston joined riders across the country on stationary bikes to raise money to find a cure for this dreaded disease. Well, I know that Parkinson's is a disease where people are shaking and it's really tough to just do daily activities and I can't even imagine how impeding that is on someone's life and I really hope that we can find a cure soon and I really advocate for that because I know so many parts of daily life are just taken away by this disease and it's so terrible and it's imperative and really essential that we find a cure soon and I'm so glad that there's fundraisers like this to spread awareness and hopefully we are one step closer to a cure. The Parkinson's Revolution event hosted by the Parkinson's Foundation united advocates, researchers and family members with the illness as they spread awareness about Parkinson's and how we can all contribute to end it. It's so imperative that we have people who are being aware of what this disease is and what's happening to individuals with Parkinson's and other movement disorders. It's the research, there needs to be so many more people who are aware of what's happening and 
what's going on in this sector of movement disorders and neurology as a whole. So my uncle went through this disease and it was really hard to watch this. My uncle and his, uh, my aunt had to move across the country to sort of get the care that they could, they needed to and <clears throat> had to upend their lives and it was a very trying task that he persevered through and really put a, a amazing face on for and it was really tough to see him sort of struggle through that. As researchers work tirelessly for a cure, solutions in place to live with Parkinson's include medication, physical therapy, and most importantly, staying active. It's essential that we continue to fund research for this devastating disease. Parkinson's disease affects millions of patients worldwide. It gives people difficulty with movement, tremor, difficulty with balance, sometimes difficulty with their speech as well. And it's a disease that's progressive over time, so people have difficulties with progressive nature of the illness. And also, they need to have support from the local community, not just in terms of dealing with the disease, but helping to fund research. Genetic research for Parkinson's, evaluations of environmental difficulties, and other areas of concern. National Institutes of Health says nearly one million people in the U.S. live with Parkinson's. It's the second most common neurodegenerative disease after Alzheimer's. Saturday's riders pedaled for a good cause and were more than happy to leave in a sweat. The City of Boston's Community Emergency Response Team, or CERT, is a trained volunteer group of individuals. In an emergency or large-scale city event, they can be activated and assembled to assist the city in response efforts. We invited Chiron Owens, Communications Director, and Nancy Smith, Program Director of the Office of Emergency Management, to the studio to discuss what CERT does and how viewers can become part of the team. Here's our conversation. I want to talk about the Community Emergency Response Team. It's been around since 1985. Can you tell us more about um, the program and why it was created? Okay, so the program was um, started uh, in California by a fire chief um, who saw the need um, that civilians could do a lot um, with what was happening in California. So the, it was started uh, there and then FEMA um, came along and decided to make it a federal program. And so uh, once FEMA got involved with it, it became a national program um, that's been around. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And can you tell us more about what CERT training covers here okay. in Boston? All right, so um, what's wonderful about the program itself, um, it, it, we're, we're creating a, a unique situation to make it more uh, manageable, but most of all, more equitable for people. So when people take uh, the program, we have a 12-hour um, module that people would go in on a portal. And at that point, they're considered to be uh, Boston CERT participants. And then uh, once you've done this, uh, you will make a decision on whether or not you're ready to go to become in-person with us. And that creates where we now change the relationship. Now you're going to be looking at becoming a Boston CERT volunteer. And what does that really mean? So it's kind of like a handshake happening between us and the city, you and the city. Um, and Kyron um, is going to talk a little bit more about the eligibility of what that looks like. But the classes that you would be taking uh, would be disaster preparedness, CERT organization, disaster medical operations, disaster psychology, 
fire safety, light and light search and um, rescue, terrorism and cybersecurity. And all of these classes are um, given by uh, subject matter experts, such as Boston EMS, Boston Fire, um, and then we have some community members that will be doing uh, things such as um, the Narcan, which uh, is under uh, the Boston Public Health Commission. Wow. And we do have um, Boston Police coming in somewhere. We're still, because of the way the programming is, we're still signing up trainers uh, because of the capacity, because this is a citywide rollout. Awesome. And Chiron, can you tell us who is eligible for this yes. program? So anyone who's 18 plus, um, a Boston resident, and can uh, pass a background check. Okay, excellent. And so it's pretty wide open. Oh, that's good. For the most part. I love that. <laughs> and how many volunteers have um, gone through this program so okay. far? Okay, so nationally, um, it 3,000 3, plus chapters with over 600,000 members nationally. Incredible. And I know that there are a couple of different uh, avenues, different uh, training modules for people who are interested yes. in this. Can you tell us what those are? Right. So um, what we, um, like I said, every anyone and everyone can go in and do the 12 hours uh, module, which you can go in right now and decide at any time you wanted to take this. And then um, the in-persons, they start up in April and they're going to run from April to June. So we have a daytime class on a Tuesday that's from 10 to 12. Then we, and that, then that evening, uh, we'll, and these are all in Roxbury right now. All of our classes are being held uh, for in-person in Roxbury. Um, then we have an evening class that's gonna be from six to eight. And then we have a Saturday class that's um, from nine uh, to 1.30. So hopefully we'll hit one of those that is suitable for you, you know. Um, and uh, this is our first, year rolling out the full capacity so we'll we'll get to find the roses and thorns on um, the, how the classes are set up very interesting and I guess once an individual is is trained up and uh, finishes this program what types of situations might they be called to okay so um, one of the nice things is is that um, and I'm just gonna brag a little bit about New York uh, they literally have um, had their program for 20 years. They celebrated this past year uh, by lighting up the Empire State Building in the CERT colors. And um, they had over 320 deployments. Those deployments uh, represented um, planned and unplanned. Okay, So we're going to talk a little bit more about what the planned events will be. Say, uh, even for the upcoming marathon, we could get a notice saying, hey, we need some volunteers for this and that. So they would send a, a formal notice to our office. And then from there, we would uh, evaluate it and determine how many volunteers we would need. And then we would send out a notice. And then the volunteers would reach back and say, yes, I can participate during these particular hours. The unplanned ones uh, could be it could be many things. Uh, I mean, that we've seen in other cities. It could be just even. Um, uh, taking sandbags and uh, helping with that. But the unplanned ones in any of these capacity, whether it's planned or unplanned, there is no self-deployment. Hmm. You will always have to be deployed under us. And that's very important. And so as the people become volunteers, that's one of the things that we will always be um, making people mindful of. You don't self-deploy yourself. What does a typical day of training look like? Okay. So um, I'm just going to highlight some of our popular ones that people really like is 
uh, the CPR um, anytime. Um, there's a full set of Annie's that are out and uh, you're clicking on them uh, to try to make sure uh, that the beat is correct. Um, and one of the songs that they sometimes sing, Staying Alive, Staying Alive, you've seen that one. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is uh, our Stop the Bleed, which um, we have these different body parts and you participate in taking your uh, finger or some items to push in to, to try to stop the, um, the, the wound from, um, from flowing, the, the, you know, the blood. And then our Narcan um, training is, is extremely uh, popular. People ask a lot of questions. Um, and I think that it's just an opportunity um, where we found out, as I mentioned, um, another program that sits inside of the CERT program, which is only four hours, which is until help arrives. Um, just to give you a little feedback, um, we did it in October and we had 91 people to show up for that class and it's four hours. Oh. So, but people ask a lot of questions about 911. And um, why is that, like I said, um, one of my big influences was uh, Chief Hooley, um, who uh, one day we were at an event and I was with the deputies and he pointed over and he says, um, this is our community initiative group, and they're the ones that's out there teaching CPR anytime. And he says, so that's on a blue sky day. He said, but this little group over here may not be the best day for you because it's the ambulance that's coming. He said, but it's all the same for us. We're the same family, and we want to make sure that if you are learning CPR until that um, first responder comes, we want to make sure that he's basically upset. He wants everybody in the city to learn CPR. This was many moons ago when I worked for the uh, Boston Public Health Commission. Wow. Yeah. All right, and, and you brought up the Until Help Arrives program. Uh, for people who are kind of debating like which one they should go for, what are the, um, the main differences between uh, that program and the Community Emergency Response Team? Okay, so one of them is 26 hours of training, which is the CERT training, and Until Help Arrives is four. And the other big piece about it is two hours um, virtual and then it's two hours in person. <laughs> and it doesn't have the, um, the um, component of pulling a quarry and a background check. Okay. All right. And not saying that anyone you know, uh, can't pass, but for some reason um, people um, kind of enjoy the four hours commitment. You know, it's a two hour, one night virtual. Then we show up the next day and meet you um, at one of the sites and you get the training uh, for the other two hours. So for a lot of urban folks, they love that. You know, They're like, we'll give you, when we did our focus groups, they were basically like, we will give you two hours in the evening and that's about it. And then, <laughs> then they started adding more stuff on there. Is it gonna be food? <laughs> Is it gonna be childcare? So we're like, you know, we're like, oh, we don't have funding for this, but we try our best to partner with uh, organizations that do have those other things that we can't bring to the table. All right, I mean, but four hours sounds very manageable. So I feel like it definitely opens up the field for a lot more people uh, to do the program. And what's good about it is that the people who've taken Until Help Arrives, they get to roll their four hours into the CERT because it sits, the, the Until Help Arrives actually sits inside of the CERT module itself in unit eight. It sits there waiting just waiting for people. And then Terrell Parops is a hybrid program as well. So it is, um, you know, partly virtual and then partly in person, so. 
All right, very good. So you get the, the best of both worlds with right. that. And I think, uh, you know, you speak about community. We laughed about this because we had the fancy registration out there for it. And then uh, I only had like 40 people registered. And then I kept seeing the numbers changing of people coming online. And I was like, what's going on? And what it was was that the community had passed the Zoom number out. And they were just like coming in. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, we only have 100 slots on the Zoom uh, platform, but they've changed that since then. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And then how can our viewers learn more and register for uh, Community Emergency Response Team? They can go to boston.gov slash cert um, for more information about the Community Emergency Response Teams. And to learn more about our office, you can go to boston.gov slash emergency. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. That's our broadcast for tonight. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amafidon. Have a great weekend.